1: Good morning. This is leading off with True Blue LA. I'm your host Eric Steven. With me today is Alex Friedman. He's the play-by-play broadcaster and director of communications for the AAA Oklahoma City Dodgers. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, this is this is fun. I've been meaning to do this for a while. I was looking back. Is this uh, this year going to be your twelfth with Oklahoma City?
0: Yes, technically twelfth year um started in 2012 it'll be 12th year 11th season because of the no oh yeah i guess it's both 11 years and 11th season i i don't know anyway um i started in 2012 and yeah now here we are in 2013 so i guess it's 11
1: seasons coming up because we didn't have one in, in 2020 so you you've been around for every year that the Dodgers have been affiliated in, in, in Oklahoma City and and I think like at this point right now where we're at uh, I sort I wanted to have you on because I think the Dodgers are like uniquely positioned uh, in a in a season like maybe 2019 is close but um this year they're it seems like they're gonna break in a lot of young players, um, and pretty much all of whom you've seen, or, or some of them, like, will see soon, you know, and I just wanted to sort of get your um, take on them. I'll, I'll just get right into it. I was looking at the the national um, prospect rankings. I think, you know, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, and Fangraphs have um, sort of revealed their Dodgers top 10 list, and uh it, on those three lists 12 different players were mentioned at least once in 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 a top 10 and most of them like i think seven of them were in the top 10 of all three but of those 12 players six played in AAA last year somewhere between two and four of the other players and, and maybe five depending on how diego cartaya i guess progresses they're going to be a AAA at some point this year so i, I just think you know, you're in a spot where you're, you're basically, um, there's a lot of players who, who are soon to be Dodgers and you're and prospect wise, not just like veterans and you're going to see them. But, you know, I think obviously the most major league ready prospect of the group is Miguel Vargas. He made his debut last year. He was on the NLDS roster, although he didn't play, um, Dave Roberts always likes to say, um, you know, uh, a player's going to get a runway for playing time, and it seems like the Dodgers are going to clear that for him um, this year. I just want to ask, you know, because he, he was with Oklahoma City for most of last year when he wasn't in the majors, Or uh, what, what, were you, what were his strengths when, when you saw him uh, last year with OKC? Well,
0: the pure hit tool is, is the thing that sticks out with Vargas, and just the ability to you know put the ball in play, make good contact, uh, you know, he is, you don't see this, I feel, too much in in the minor leagues these days, whether it's from A-ball to AAA, and that's someone batting in the same position in the lineup every single day. He was the team's number two hitter literally almost every single game. Whether there was only one time, whether he was, with the exception of him being at the Futures game or when he was with the big league roster, there was only one time that he had like an entire he had a day off. He was just not in the lineup that day in that number two hole. Now there were a couple of occasions where the front office had told our manager Travis, "Hey, we want him coming off the bench that this game." Um, but like I said, there was only one day he was not in the lineup, and you really do not see that very often. These days in the minor leagues, or really for that matter, in the big leagues as well. So right. that was definitely a breath of fresh air to be able to see that. Um, so again, the bat to ball skills and and the hit tool is what jumps out the most. Uh, you know, his I know there's a lot of questions about his defensive ability. Uh, I think it definitely improved as the year went on. The I don't have the exact breakdown, but the majority of his errors, I would say, at third base. Were on throws, not on fielding, um, and I think that's if you were to break that down, that's the one area that would give you less concern. If it was a bunch of fielding errors, then you would be a little bit more concerned. But I feel that that that's an easier fix to be able to fix the throwing errors rather than than the fielding errors. And of course, he you know went out to to left field a little bit as well. And his first game out there, we have a really deep left center field, and sure enough first game out there makes an incredible running catch out there in the left center field gap so um, yeah I, I think just it's just a solid base overall you can tell you know his father who was a longtime professional player in Cuba a lot of it is, is translated down the bloodlines are there and just the uh, you know his, his consistency every single day was something that definitely stood out.
1: Um, with, with with Vargas, I know a lot of guys, I mean, I grew up, Pedro Guerrero was probably my, my first favorite Dodger, like in the 1980s. And he was, you know, just a stupendous hitter and they would just put him wherever they could on defense. They kind of moved him around a lot, but it seems like with Vargas, at least, I guess I didn't see the super young Guerrero. He seems to just be overall like more athletic than I sort of remember what Pedro Guerrero was. So it's not like it doesn't seem like he's just a a big lumbering bat that they'll put somewhere no. and, and hope. It seems like he can he can at least move around and, and make the plays that sort of wherever they play him. He, is, that, is that I, fair I think to say? so.
0: And and he's a good he's not a burner, but he's a good runner too. He's he's a good athlete yeah. overall and a good runner. And I think a lot of it gets to the fact that players these days are just I think more athletic in general than they were in, in Pedro Guerrero's time and. Um, and they're also brought up now, especially in the player development times, to learn multiple positions. Uh, when Vargas was starting to get some reps out in left field, they had the, the minor league outfield coordinator, Jason Bourgeois, here, and, and I had a nice conversation with him uh, about what he saw in Vargas, and he said immediately, the athleticism is there to be able to do it. It's just Locking in, pre-pitch, okay, going through that mental checklist. What do I do if the ball is hit here, given the situation with the base runners and the outs, and, and using BP really is a time to lock in, to get your reads and, and see how the ball is carrying that day and, and kind of gather yourself and put yourself in that, in that state. So um, I, I think if, if they didn't feel like he had a chance to do it, it probably wouldn't have been an experiment to begin with. Um, and, and I think he'll adapt to, to where he's asked to play.
1: Yeah, I remember um, I was looking at the game logs uh, the other day for Vargas, and uh, it you know it's, it seems like when they made the concerted effort to play him and left, that was just before he ended up yeah. getting call, called up, and that, that's usually like the last thing. Like, the, okay, he's going to be more of a utility guy at first, so we want to have him to you know, have experience at multiple positions, and it seems like that they were doing that. Um, They did that a little with Michael Bush, although he was, you know, he was mostly second base, uh, but he he played also a a little bit in left field. Um, I guess at least some of the... Like the prospect write-up, uh, prospect analysts uh, for him are a little less bullish on his defense, but they love his bat. But I, I remember Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs labeled him as a DH, basically, and a bat-only player. But with that said, saying the bat is good enough to play, like no matter what. But um, I guess my question with with so, with Bush. And I, and a little bit with Vargas because he played second base a little bit. Do you think like the the shift restrictions in the majors will will like hinder their ability to play second, or was this were they like you know adequate enough at the position to to still sort of play there you know if needed? I'm not sure I can fully answer that question because at Triple A
0: we didn't have the shift restrictions either, so it's going to be new right. for us as well, and it's something that I'm I'm very interested in seeing. I think something that is undersold about Michael Bush is his overall athleticism. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, there were several times because in a shift where we're not talking about the plays where he'd be out in shallow right field with left-handed pull hitter. We're talking about plays where he'd have to be up the middle or to the left of second with right-handed hitters up sometimes, and he would make those plays. Um, so that showed me something, you know, when he was able to go out there and make those plays, you know, whether it's even crossing from the right side of second over to the left side uh, to be able to make those plays and then make those off-balance throws with his momentum carrying him towards left field over to first base. You know, Like I said, he was able to make those plays, and I think the actions and athleticism certainly stood out uh, at second base. Now, I you know, of course, none of us have a crystal ball. I, I can't tell you. You know, how is that necessarily going to translate? In no shift. I I think it'll be fine. I I don't think it's going to be a a death knell or or anything for him. I think it'll certainly be uh playable at the very least.
1: Yeah, and I, I just and I didn't want to. I don't want to, um, you know, imply that there's not going to be shifts. I think there's still going right. to be shifts. Right. They're just going to be less exaggerated right they're just you're gonna have maybe the shortstop right behind second base so you're still gonna have you don't have to have the um all the range i guess uh, for left-handed hitters or whatever but you're just not gonna have that roller in in short right field to to rob hits or whatever um the uh, james outman uh you know he less heralded i guess on the like the prospect ranking radar but I just I don't remember anyone who had a as productive of a four game debut as he had. It was just like a Supernova basically and, and then he went back down but he, he got a brief taste in Oklahoma City before he came up to the Dodgers and then he went back down and then it seemed like he just kept doing that for like the rest of the season. Did you notice any, were there any differences like in his approach or was he just getting better results? what What did you see from him in that those last like what two months of the season? I can't say that I did. I I think, you know, he was just pretty consistently good
0: throughout his his time in in, in Oklahoma City. Um, Now, there were times where I think maybe as opposed to his past, and and of course this all with a caveat and even self-admitted, that he came in a pro ball as a very raw player, you know, more of an athlete than a finished product. And he gives a lot of credit to the Dodgers player development staff and coaches for help molding him into the player that he's become, I think from what I understand in the past, what he was able to do in his time with Oklahoma City was minimize the slumps. There really was no extended drought that he had. Um, and he was able to, to really impact the game. You know, of course, it's not going to be every single day that you go out there and, and do some of the things that he did, um, but he didn't really have many dry spells either. And you always felt like when he was at the plate, that something good was going to happen or could very well happen. So um, just because I think I didn't necessarily see him struggle a ton, I can't really compare to, to maybe any adjustments or, or anything like that. Um, but I think for a player like him, it's just year after year getting more comfortable with, with the swing. The Dodgers have helped him develop and, and getting more comfortable with, with just being a, a pro player.
1: And then uh, he played m- mostly right field uh, for Oklahoma City, but that was you know I think partially because Drew Ravens was in center. Uh, he seemed to be you know very good in the outfield from the the games I watched. Um, wh- what what did you make of him? He I know he was drafted in the thirty third round, uh, same same round two years later than uh, Zach McKinstry. But uh, you know he had the fifty game on base streak last year and. That was snapped by a, a very unlucky play yeah. where he crashed into a yeah. wall. Um, what, what did you what did you see from him last year? He he seemed to be sort of an under the radar guy.
0: Yeah, and you're also forgetting Brett Deguss, who was the 33rd round pick in between those two. So,
1: if, oh, that's right. And he and he made right. the major. So too, if Drew Abens gets 05. to the
0: big leagues at any point, that would be three consecutive years. <sighs> the Dodgers would have had a 33rd round pick, which for the listeners who wow. don't know. That's a round that does not exist anymore. Uh, but even in the previous 40-round draft, obviously pretty late, I think there's a pretty good chance there is, when it's all said and done, there will be, a, 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 there will be three to, three consecutive players on the 33rd round uh, that the Dodgers drafted that end up making the major leagues. But the best thing I can say about Drew is, is to borrow a line from manager Travis Barber, and that's simply, we're a better team when he's playing. When he's in center field, hmm. when he's in the lineup, you know he played with Oklahoma City in, in 2021 and, and certainly was was productive then. Um, this year, especially the beginning of the year, just didn't get many at bats. You know, Kevin Pillar was with the team. Um, there were some other guys that just were kind of higher priority, and he was really only starting, you know, two three days a week if that. But then once the playing time opened. You know, he took over that everyday center field, everyday leadoff spot and, and never gave it up the rest of the way until that unfortunate injury that, that you alluded to when he crashed into the fence trying to make a play um, when he had to miss ultimately a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, the power, he's not a big guy. You know, he's not going to put up you know, huge power numbers, um, but he's a guy that, that can make things happen um, that, that he can get on base, as you said, you know, a 50 game on base streak. And then once he does, uh, the ability to steal bases as well. So, uh, a good defender, a good runner. And I think especially now when all teams have a, a a universal DH and you have to have, um, you know, 13 position players on a major league roster where, where we could see the the addition of guys like Drew Evans back on a major league roster, who are just more defense and speed oriented, because it's a lot easier to carry one of those players. I feel with the with the current uh, kind of uh, roster parameters that, that all teams have to abide by right now. But but you know, great guy, obviously overachiever. Um, And like I said, great teammate, and and just to re-emphasize what Travis said, he's he's a guy that makes your team better whenever he plays. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
1: Uh, you mentioned the um the roster limits that you know those rules you know technically began in 2020 but because of the the pandemic and then the lockout we've had like three years of sort of modified roster rules for a while so this year's going to be the first year that we see all year i mean at least in theory i guess something could still happen but um where teams have to carry uh, no more than 13 uh, pitchers. So that means you have to have at least 13 position players. And for me, like, looking back, I used to always think, in in terms of the Rule 5 draft, the most likely to stick were relievers because they're easiest to stash. But now it seems like with that, you know, extra bench spot um, or at least opportunity for more playing time out of that spot – um, it seems like a position player could stick and one of the, the players the Dodgers lost was Ryan Noda, who was with you guys last year. He's with the As now. How do you see his sort of skill set uh, translating you know, to the majors? I think
0: you know, Ryan's biggest issues with the Dodgers was that theres a guy named Freddie Freeman who's going to be at first base. <laughs> yeah. going back to what we we're talking about, the rare everyday player um, and, you know who is one of those guys still and you have to basically force out of the lineup. So um, I understand why the Dodgers didn't ultimately protect him on the 40-man roster. I don't think it had to do with, with anything with his ability, obviously, is that the A's saw something and took him with that second pick, you know, there in the, in the Rule 5 draft. But, uh, you know, good knowledge of the strike zone is the biggest thing I think that sticks out at the plate. For Noda, his ability to, you know, take borderline pitches, draw a watch. Now, there is going to be some swing and miss in the zone, but there is for a lot of players these days um, and a lot of players elsewhere in, in this organization, some that we've even talked about, you know, early, earlier on in this podcast. So, you know, that's one of the big things. Of course, the power is there. You know, big guy, power-speed combo, you know, had a uh, 2020 season. You know, here only one of a handful of times that's happened, you know, in Oklahoma City's modern history. And defensively, uh, his defensive work at first base is just tremendous, Uh, without a doubt. I think the best defensive first baseman that that we saw in this league this year, and And the way that they do gold gloves in the minor leagues is they just do one at each position for the entire minor leagues. And I I really thought he should have won it. I think anyone who would have watched him would agree. I don't know what the numbers would have necessarily said because you have someone at MILB HQ at its end of the day probably just looking at total chances and errors and, and all that stuff. And... Uh, he did play some corner outfield for, especially at the beginning of the year when Jake Lamb was here, who, who was getting reps at first base. So he did spend the first couple uh, months of the season playing corner outfield spot in addition to, to first base. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, I'm hoping that he'll stick there, there with the A's. You'd like to think with the way that things are going for the A's right now, the, the odds are pretty good. Um, now I I think ultimately it's probably going to be a, a, a low average high on base, uh, kind of profile for him with some pop, which I I don't want to necessarily say three true outcomes. Um, but, but I think that might be the long-term projection for him.
1: Yeah. He, Noda had, um, his 92 walks were second most in all the Dodgers minors last year. You mentioned his 2020 season, uh, I was reading your, um, you had a couple of sort of 2022 season review posts, and you, you had a note about his 2020 season. Um, who was the last player in Oklahoma City to have that? Can you share that That with us? would be Nelson Cruz in, I can't remember, I want to <laughs> say it was maybe 2008,
0: his his PCL MVP season. And that's before, of course, he established himself uh, in the big leagues and uh, still doing it here, <laughs> you know, 15 years later yeah. in, in the majors, which uh, a lot of people might might find hard to imagine at one point that he was a 2020 player, but, yes, he, he was indeed. Uh,
1: that was a great uh, piece of trivia on that. I enjoyed it. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, we've talked a lot about um, pitchers. I mean, hitters now. I just wanted to sort of go to some of the pitchers. Um, You know, Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, they seem sort of joined at the hip. Uh, They were drafted in the same year. They got promoted to AAA at the same time last August. They're both expected to pitch in the majors at some point this year, although neither are on the 40-man just yet. Did you, or I don't know if it's even possible to sense this, but did you sense any, like, competition between the two uh, during their time in AAA last year, if if that's such a thing?
0: Uh, not that I, not that I could pick up on, you know, they, they got promoted the same time, you know, made their triple A debuts within, in the same series, just within a couple of days of each other. Um, I never really got that impression. I, I think got there, there are two guys who from a physical standpoint are very different. You know, Miller has what, what you basically, how you draw it up for a potential starting pitcher, yeah. you know, six, five sturdily built, uh, in stone, you know, he's six feet tall. You know, uh, uh, you know uh, 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 gosh, what's the word that I'm looking A leaner guy. Um, and it, not to say that their pitching profiles are, are all that different, but, um, you know, they're, they, it is a little bit, you know, kind of – they're not like cut from the same cloth necessarily. You have, you know, you have the first-round pick in Miller from, from a, a really big-time college program in Louisville. You've got Stone from; it is a Division One program, but an unheralded one in, in Central Arkansas. You have Miller, who comes from the Chicago suburbs. You have Stone, who's from about a town of two thousand people in the middle of Arkansas. Um, so they're definitely different, different kind of guys, but but both great guys. And like I said, I never really sensed any any kind of competition. It was it was fun to watch. I'll tell you that much. You got excited every single time that they went out to the mound but also I I couldn't necessarily get an entirely great feel for either one of them because it was near the end of the season and the decision makers were putting in some workload restrictions. So they weren't necessarily each pitching on an every five day schedule either. You know, they pitch once, maybe go a week and a half, even sometimes two weeks without pitching um, just to kind of be cautious for their workloads, you know, at the end. But, but two guys who obviously had a lot of potential. I, I think we saw that, and some of the, the that the industry agrees from some of the prospect rankings that that, that came out. Um, I did do a uh, an interview once uh, this year with with Jamie Wright, who's now you know one of the roving pitching instructors was you know our our pitching coach in 2021. Um, he didn't necessarily allude to the rivalry, but, but he thinks, you know, still he said, I think the term he used for stone was quiet swagger that, you know, he, <laughs> he, he knows he's good. And, and he knows that he's, he can be just as good as maybe someone at, as as good as a Bobby Miller or somebody else.
1: Yeah. It seemed, I was struck with stone with, Anytime someone, you know, goes up, what, three levels, he pitched three levels, but he was dominant right. at, like, every single one. It's not like he didn't seem to suffer a drop-off, like, and you st- you don't see and, that and, a lot. And in, <laughs> and in time that, with <laughs>
0: Oklahoma City, and I don't have his exact numbers in front of me, but but it boiled down to, like, the runs he gave up came down to, like, one bad inning, which happens, and it was also, you know, like a, a, a field trip game, there was some defensive miscues behind him and just, you know, had some trouble eventually ending the inning. But outside of that one little blip, I mean, triple-A, no one was touching him either.
1: Yeah. Um, so with Miller and Stone there, obviously, you know, something could always happen in spring training, and it's, it seems to always uh, – something always does seem to happen, I guess. But you, there's a very real chance that Oklahoma City could begin the year with the rotation of Miller and Stone – Ryan Pepio, Michael Grove, and maybe Andre Jackson, and I, I'm just looking back. Maybe I'm forgetting, but would that be the most like homegrown pitching rotation dur- during the time the Dodgers have been affiliated with Oklahoma City, even if it's just like four of those guys? Maybe the like, start a year, sure. but off the top of my <laughs> yeah. head, I'd go back to 2016
0: when you had Julio Rios, Jose DeLeon, oh. Brock Stewart, Trevor Oaks. Um, and I think maybe even Jarell Cotton too. So um, that yeah. to begin a season, probably that would be it if it does end up that way. But like you said, uh, something is going to happen. It's, it's just it's in terms of what exactly it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I think that there what's no, stood out to me. And we are recording this on January nineteenth, and there is still you know about a month till pitchers and catchers report. The Dodgers, in terms of the minor league free agent market, I, there have been no guys who could be potential starting pitchers that they've signed, at least that I'm aware of. So yeah. they haven't really signed many of those vets, which is kind of surprising. Anyway, you know, like uh, we, you know, you saw last as recently as last year, like you know, a guy like. Uh, a Robbie Erlin, who can go off, you know that you know that's it's it's, it's going to compete, you know at the big league level and has done it before. There haven't been any of those guys, which has been surprising. That's who tends to fill out your rotation, a, at least at the beginning of the season at Triple A. So uh, I am a little curious as to as to how that all shakes out, both the the big league level and and Triple and A. And, and to me, as of now, it also says that they have faith in those guys who might not be on the forty man roster. As of yet, that that if they are needed even early in the season, the big leagues that they can go up and contribute.
1: Yeah, the Dodgers so far out—they've only announced um, of the non-roster guys. They've only announced Jason Hayward and uh, Adam Cleric I was able to uh, confirm has a non-roster invitee on his minor league deal. But yeah, the rest—it's like it, it's been trying to, uh, you know, un- unearth like. I don't know, it's just been hard to find information on that. But yeah, you, you mentioned Brock Stewart. He's another guy. Talk about, he had a, a meteoric rise. Yeah. He went through, I think, three levels the year he made the majors. and then And then he also, he, he sort of went through the, uh, I forgot the count. I want to say it was, I think he was called up or it was 16 different stints in the majors in like a, in maybe a, 2 years and a month like during right. like a certain yeah. span and he was just talking about taking the rut like the the back and forth uh plane to either Oklahoma City or wherever city you guys were same with or Los Angeles just what a bizarre time that was but i guess the, with the option rules um limiting now last year didn't was was definitely not as crazy from that um, aspect right. at least uh, compared to <laughs> recent years with yeah. with the Dodgers Um, another member of that, you know, potential rotation, I mentioned Andre Jackson, uh, and another, going back to your, um, rankings of the top Oklahoma city games of 2022, I was disappointed. You didn't include his four inning save, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, but, uh, I was wondering if you, if you could share, um, some of your favorite moments, just generally, not necessarily the Andre Jackson related, but just, uh, from last season. That, that we may have missed.
0: Yeah, and a little kind of shameless self-plug. If you want to read these pieces that Eric has alluded to, you can go to medium.com slash beyond dash the dash bricks. Or if you just Google, like, beyond the bricks, OKC Dodgers, it'll come up. Um, but, yeah.
1: yeah, And I'll, I'll link them in the show notes uh, as well. But,
0: yeah. and, I, and I, not to, to kind of spoil my... Um, one of my things that I included there. But but without a doubt, the, the top moment was when James Outman you know, wins a game with a walk-off home run to complete the cycle, a game in which he was 5-for-5 five five with two triples. Uh, so he had the team's first cycle since 2011, also had the first, and this is the same game, two triples in one game since 2010, and it was an important game against El Paso, the team that they were battling for first place for, and a walk-off night, a military appreciation night, uh, might have even been a fireworks night. Uh, so yeah, that was without a doubt like the top moment as far as I was concerned. Um, you know, there are a lot of exciting finishes this year, and and um, just being able to, to watch these guys and have the seasons they did, you know, from... From Mountain and to Jason Martin to Vargas, you know, one of his walk-offs is up there. What a, you know, and Max Muncie when he was on rehab assignment and he obliterated a ball just about out of the stadium to walk off a game as well. That, that was another fun game. Um, but you mentioned uh, the Andre Jackson this morning. Say, that was an important game. I mean, that was a, a first week of September game between OKC and Round Rock in Round Rock. And, uh, the night before was just a a horrible game from Oklahoma City's perspective. Had a three-run lead in the ninth, couldn't hang on to it. Had leads in the 10th and 11th, could not hang on. Um, And then the next day, you know, Michael Grove started off with five solid innings, and and then Jackson, what was, I believe, a three-to-one game, you know, closed out, might have faced, you know, only one or two batters over the minimum. Um, And he really seemed to kind of, find his niche in that long relief role, both in, in, in AAA and in the big leagues, too. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what his role is going to be uh, this year moving forward. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm forgetting some other things, but, but you know, it was a great season overall, a lot more wins than losses, which, which certainly helps, and a great group of guys to go along with it.
1: Um, a couple of years ago, um, the minor leagues, just in general, not just Triple A, um, shifted to a new schedule with six-game series, playing the same team uh, during an entire week, and then uh, basically having a consistent off day every week. Um, you know, we're two years into this system. how How do you like this this new thing? I know it was it seemed like a lot to get used to, just because in baseball we're not used to the six-game series, but. How how have you liked it? Like is not the right word. Love (laughs) is the right word. Uh, With
0: all the travel that the PCL does, especially our league and how spread out it is, even though it's only now 10 teams, um, it has made a world of difference uh, to be able to have, whether it's if you're able to get out, travel that night after the Sunday game, or if you do have to fly back on Monday, or if you're even able to bus after a game on on Sunday, uh, to be able to have that that period, and I don't like, I'm hesitant to call it a day off. You know, it's a day without a game. It's not not a not a
1: full day it's, off, right?
0: Exactly. But to be able to have that uh, has been huge. Uh, I can personally attest that. at the end of each of the last two seasons I I mean everyone's going to be tired at the end of the year but I definitely the energy level just in general feels a bit higher at the end of the season and I will definitely take the trade-off they've had from basically lengthening the calendar going almost all the way through September uh, with the every single Monday you know having having that day without a game it has been such a big benefit I've never felt It never, uh, for whatever, it never felt that weird, you know, to play a six-game series. And and to this day, I've I've never felt bored at the end of a six-game series. Um, I think a lot of it is because, unlike the major leagues, you know, your rotation is maybe not necessarily as uh, set in stone. So you're not always going to see, like, the same guy pitch on Sunday that you did on Tuesday. It does happen, um, you know. I'd probably say about half the time, if not more, but but yeah, I've never felt bored. Um, I know players and coaches have really been receptive to it and enjoyed it. and I think it's been a, a great change in, in terms of that. the The one thing that that kind of changes things is is now that Tuesday, it's without a doubt the busiest day of the week. Um, that's when when you have all of your affiliates, basically on the same schedule, that's when you're going to see the most roster moves. Um, that's when they're going to make some oh, yeah. adjustments. And, and, or it's, you know, uh, we didn't have a game on Monday, but the big league team did, and, and there'll be some changes. And you're just kind of settling back into whether you're back at home, you're getting pulled in a bunch of different directions, or if you're you're on the road, things just tend to be a lot busier, that that, that first game of the C- series on that Tuesday. But, but overall... Um, Huge positive. I, I I don't really know of anyone who dislikes it, um, and it's been a very very welcome change.
1: Sure. Um, uh, going back again to twenty twenty one for a second, I I this name will ever forever be seared in my brain just for a few um, sort of minor league recaps that year. But Curtis Terry, who was the first oh, baseman yeah. at Round Rock. At, I know he started the year, it seemed like he had like a 3,000 OPS against Oklahoma City. I know he cooled off towards the end of the year, but he still had amazing numbers. I think eight home runs against Oklahoma City that year. Was there any opponent in 2022 who was reasonably equivalent to last uh, year's Curtis Terry? I don't think so,
0: Um,
1: but I will say one guy who... Is
0: just worn out Oklahoma City the last two years. Not as much with with power numbers, but but with hits and getting on base and doubles. Guy by the name of C.J. Hitosha. He was with Sugar Land two years ago, and the Astros then was with El Paso last year, Padres organization. Um, I would joke during broadcasts with he would never consider even if the Dodgers were to offer him a minor league free agent contract, he probably wouldn't sign it because he wouldn't be able to to, uh, play against Oklahoma City. From what I've read, he has signed with the Marlins this year as a a minor league free agent, so fortunately we'll not see him. Um, But he's a guy who definitely stands out, just uh, could not get him, and just haven't the last two years, just have not been able to get him out um, regardless of what team he's playing, where the game is being played. Um, I might I'm probably forgetting someone right now, as we talked about this in mid-January, but that was definitely uh, someone who, who consistently provided fits for, for Oklahoma City.
1: And then uh, last thing from me, um, are, are there any, I, we talked about a lot of players, I know, but are there any Oklahoma City players from last year, who maybe I'm either overlooking or people you're looking forward to seeing again or seeing this season for the first time. Well, we
0: already talked about Drew Evans. He's usually at the top of my list when when we have these kind of conversations. Um, I think someone who uh, could possibly work his way in, in, into the big league bullpen at some point is Nick Robertson. Uh, he came and was with OKC for the final month uh, of the year. You know, big right-hander, three-pitch mix, looked really good in his time, uh, with OKC and, and a guy who I thought could, could potentially be a, a a rule five pick, like, like we talked about earlier with relievers having the ability to stick. Um, but I think that's someone that, that, yeah, we'll see where, where he's able to go. If he's able to make that, uh, you know, next step in his career, uh, you know, going forward. And if he is able to, to get to, uh, the big leagues, and I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to get my potential player list open here on my computer to see if there's, <laughs> oh, one guy that I definitely, uh, and I don't think we're going to see him at the beginning of the year, um, but added to the 40-man roster, Johnny DeLuca, be able to see him, yep. you know, hopefully for for the first time. I know a lot of people that we've gotten questions about on social media and whether he actually ends up in, in Oklahoma City is a question is Jason Hayward uh, just because of his pedigree and all that. And uh, can't forget Andy Pajes, you know, uh, you know mm-hmm. another guy who's got after the 40-man roster and, and uh, you know, a lot of power there. So, so looking forward to see him. And, and, you know, selfishly, even though we talked about him, just hoping uh, we get to see more of uh, Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone because, like I said, didn't really maybe get the full experience for both those two guys last year.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually glad you mentioned Nick Robertson. I was going back um, back in December when I was sort of preparing for the Rule 5 draft. I just had some sort of boilerplate stuff for like a number of guys who might have been selected just in case I had to include them in a particular story. And I did have Robertson, just same, same sort of deal we talked about of like, you know, r- hard throwing reliever or like, you know, good amount of strikeouts could possibly stick. That sort of a thing, and and uh, yeah, I know he didn't end up getting drafted, but yeah, that, that's that's definitely someone to someone to watch for this year, uh, Alex. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, and I also want to thank you for all your work on both the game broadcast and along with Lisa Johnson providing a volume of information about Oklahoma City on a daily basis. I, I certainly enjoy it i rely on it and, and i'm just happy for all of your work and, and just want to say thanks. Well, thank
0: you so much for the kind words and and what i like to say in terms of the the kind of position lisa and i have is that it might not matter to a wide audience but the people it matters to it really matters to so so i thank you again for for saying that and thank you so much for having me on this is a lot of fun
1: Sure thing. And and that's it for us today on Leading Off with True Blue LA. Uh, We'll talk to you again later this week.